and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 26. It's also the passage we'll be reading from, Proverbs 26, printed in your bulletin on, uh, with a short outline underneath. And as we have been going through the book of Proverbs, the same is true this week with this sermon, that I'm going to be going through many different Proverbs all throughout the sermon. You won't be able to keep up with all the addresses. I won't give all the addresses, but if you emailed me this week or later, I will send you a copy of all the verses that we're going over. And so as we approach this section of Scripture, there's something fascinating about just the two first verses that are in this section, verse 4 and verse 5 of Proverbs 26. Two polar opposite views have been given on these two verses that start our passage today. Verse 4 says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And the very opposite is told to us in verse 5 answer a fool according to his folly. So here's the two opinions that are out there today. One, this is a blatant contradiction in the Bible and proof that it's full of errors and can't be trusted. Or two, this is an ingenious poetic device for communicating the subtle nuance needed to wisely answer a fool. I bet you can guess which one I'm going to go with. Number two, now, I shared that with the elders as we prayed before the service, and I said, I might do number one. Then they were going to storm the pulpit and drag me out. So, you won't get, this is a problem that deconstructs the usefulness of the Bible to us. No. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, and the majority of scholars that I've read actually take these two opposite directions as a call to discernment to decide when is it time to speak and when is it not time to speak. And I agree with that principle. We see that throughout Scripture, and we see particularly in the book of Ecclesiastes, a familiar passage. There is a time to weep. There is a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. These, these opposites of there's a time for everything under the sun You just have to use wisdom and discernment to know which time we're talking about. And I think that's true for speaking to a fool or not speaking to a fool. But there's another level of help, I think, that we can better understand these two verses if we know a little bit of Hebrew. So that's why we have to go to Bruce Waltke, who is a Hebrew scholar. And he says that both of these proverbs are absolutes and applicable all the time. He bases this on the range of meaning that the phrase according to can have. Answer not a fool according to his folly, or answer a fool according to his folly. That according to in the first verse could be translated, don't answer a fool with behavior that's similar to his. Don't sound like a fool when talking to a fool. Don't fight folly with folly is the first verse's admonition. And the second, answer a fool according to his folly, could be translated, answer a fool with an answer appropriate to his particular folly. If you don't, he'll keep on doing and living in that folly. He'll be uncorrected. So when you see it, answer it so he understands. In other words, don't run your mouth back at a fool. Instead, rebuke him with wise words for his own good. 
Well, with this in mind, follow along as I read Proverbs 26, 4 through 12. This is the Word of God. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouths of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is inspired by you, that it is breathed out by you, and it's profitable for instruction and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true and that you sanctify us by your truth. We thank you that as we have heard prayed today that we would, by your sanctifying truth, be conformed to the image of our Savior Jesus, that our lives would line up more and more with what our Savior lived like for your glory, for your honor. And so as we come to the book of Proverbs again today, Lord, I pray that we would have our eyes open to the truth of your word and that we would understand rightly what you have communicated to us. And Lord, for the harder part, it seems to be able to apply and to live out these principles, we need your Holy Spirit. We need your power at work in us to live lives of wisdom, to answer fools in the way that you would call us to. We pray that you would do this for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. Amen. How to answer a fool. I've been looking over the last three weeks at the Proverbs and just pulling out all sorts of Proverbs that talk about how we answer a fool, how not to answer a fool, what to look for when the fool responds, and, and just have been kind of putting together this, uh, this sermon. I think it is very, very relevant to us today because... Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, you may have come across a fool or two this past week. Maybe it was on the news, maybe it was on the internet, maybe it was on social media, maybe it was in your own home, maybe it was at the workplace or at your school. We encounter foolishness all the time. So we have, to, we have an opportunity before us. Uh, I especially like to use that word opportunity we usually use it for something that nobody likes to do, but it, it has to be done, right? So, for example, uh, we may say, I think we have an opportunity to change the baby's diaper. Nobody wants to do it. It's got to be done, and it has to be done soon. Or you hear the pow, thud, 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 and you pull off to the side of the road, and you say, I believe we have an opportunity to change a flat tire on the side of the road. Opportunity can be kind of this, you know, nice way of trying to encourage somebody to do something that they may not want to do, 
but has to be done. And I think that's true with answering a fool. Sometimes we think, I just don't want to do this. I, I just don't know how to do this. Well, we have to answer a fool according to their folly, lest they remain in their folly. It reminds me of, a, of an illustration I want you to think of in terms of, um, say, your child, five years old, is walking around the house, but they're, they're kind of hiding their hand from you. And they don't show you what's in it or what's going on. And you kind of get interested. You know something's wrong with them. And you get a little closer and you say, let me see your hand. And you pull it up and it's red, it's swollen, and you see all the telltale signs of a splinter. Right? And that splinter is stuck in there. And that splinter is not going to go away magically by itself. It gets worse and worse and worse. We have an opportunity. Now that opportunity requires that um, you have the right tools that you have some skill in doing what you're doing, right? My kids would hate it, right? No kids want to go, yes, go after that splinter. I know it's going to hurt, but I will feel better in the end. Nobody, no young person has that clarity of thought that this will hurt, but it will help. That's what we do when we answer a fool. We have to have the intention to help, but we have to go through the careful work of taking out that folly. And so as We have this opportunity. It's guaranteed you're going to have this opportunity. It's not a question of whether you will have to answer a fool, but what can we do to get ready? What tools can we prepare ourselves with? What ways can we become skillful and good at answering a fool according to their folly? So as you look at the outline in your bulletin, I've organized the thoughts on for tackling this subject under what kind of fool are they? That's the first question we're going to ask. And then we choose how to respond. Then we read their reaction. And then we're going to be informed by how Jesus and Paul answered fools. So let's first decide what kind of fool we're dealing with. And the Proverbs make clear that there are different varieties of fool. And the wise answer comes from somebody who discerns what type of fool you're dealing with. There is the simple and there's the scoffer. Uh, two different types of foolishness. The, the, the simple, their folly is usually from their ignorance or from their youth. They're immature. They may be a child in age or they may be young in the faith that they've just now come to an understanding of what it means to live according to what the Bible teaches. And so they're simple in their understanding. A simple fool requires one approach. A scoffer who is a fool requires another. Proverbs 9 says, whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come and eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. The scoffer is not simple. The scoffer is somebody who's determined and resolved, and they often lack, they don't lack knowledge. Often they have a whole ton of knowledge, but it's not according to the truth. And maybe in spite of that abundance of knowledge, they're still unteachable and they're stiff-necked. Listen to what the Proverbs says about this variety of fool, the scoffer. Proverbs fifteen twelve. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. So the fool that you're dealing with, if they didn't make an appointment to come see you, 
you might be dealing with a scoffer. Like, they're not seeking out wisdom. You have to go to them. Or Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs twenty six eleven: like a dog that returns to his vomit, we read this, is a fool who repeats his folly. He doesn't change. He just keeps going back and going back and going back. That would be in the unchanging, unteachable scoffer category. Or Proverbs 29, uh, or 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. I'd like a foolish fool, not a fool who's wise in their own eyes. I got this. I can handle this. I don't need any help. Then in Proverbs 29.1, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Um, that term stiff-necked is somebody who is just stubborn and they're set upon doing what is foolish and they won't change their ways. And often what we see is those who are stiff-necked and don't listen to people, the proverb says, will sudden be, suddenly be broken beyond healing. That's an extreme warning that I think is basically saying God's going to get involved here in a very direct way. And we should expect that the way of the transgressor will be hard, and we should expect that our job is to return good for evil. Our job is not to take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God, and vengeance is involving that kind of breaking that God's responsible for, we're not. Okay, so when you're dealing with the fool, ask yourself, is this a simple person or a scoffer? Secondly, there is those fools who have isolated themselves and those fools who are connected, connected to other people. Those isolated fools, in their selfish pride, they tell themselves, I don't need anybody else. They're the most expert and everyone else is stupid so I don't have to learn from anybody else. Proverbs 18 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Rather, we should hope to deal with a fool that's connected. Uh, In humility, they see that they simply need others. Um, We can't see ourselves clearly, and we can't see all the angles and perspectives on a given decision, on a given moral choice, on a a course of action. We can't possibly see every angle and perspective. So we really need other people to help us out. And the fool who is connected to, seeking out, and wants that kind of correction. Proverbs 13.20 says, "'Whoever walks with the wise will become wise.'" but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Or Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there's no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. That's what we're looking for. Somebody who will listen, who's teachable, who's humble enough to say, I don't know everything about this. I really need some outside help. And that's the humility that it takes to, um, to be teachable. So when you discern as best you can what kind of fool you're dealing with, the simple or the scoffer, the one who has connected himself to other believers or the one that's isolated himself from other believers, then 
you choose how to respond. And there are times when you should not answer that fool. Remember, we're talking across the spectrum of fools who you see on the interwebs, in social media, on Twitter in particular, who just kind of go off on everything, and you feel like, I need to answer that. I need to correct that. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you just don't need to answer that. But there are times when that person that is foolish is very close to us. They're a child or a family member, somebody we love, somebody we work closely with, somebody we go to church with, and we need to interact with them and speak with them. So when we choose not to answer, it should be in line with wisdom, and the wisdom from God in Proverbs 9-7 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Now, that's not an absolute forbidding. It's use wisdom and walk into that situation with your eyes open. You may get hurt in the process. Um, This person's going to fight back. This person is going to attack back. So don't go in there all um, expecting everything to always turn out. Go in with the right understanding. And then in Proverbs 23, 9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. So there are times not to speak. I like the quote I read from Winston Churchill. He put it this way, you'll never reach your destination if you stop and throw rocks at every dog that barks. You get that? Don't feel like you have to, particular somebody else's dog, somebody else's comment, somebody you don't know from Adam has said something that's foolish. Okay. If it's not personally harming you or in your sphere of influence, you may not have to respond to that. But when you do choose to respond, when you do answer a fool, there's so much wisdom and guidance from Proverbs. We are to speak in humble, gracious, judicious, and persuasive ways. And let me show you that from Proverbs 16, verse off. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Now, that's not manipulating, uh, blowing smoke, or flattery. That, that's just being sweet and not harsh and abrasive. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. Don't try to be an instructor that instructs just like the fool sounds. You can't fight folly with folly, all right? And then the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. And 1528 says, ponder how to answer. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Stop. Wait a minute. Think about how you can be gracious, how you can be persuasive, how you can be judicious and humble in what you're about to say. We need to pray before we open our mouths. We need to pray before we get on that keyboard. And ask, Lord, is this wise? Are these words going to 
affect and meet that fool where they're at. Ravi Zacharias is fond of saying, I don't engage in mudslinging because you get really dirty and lose a lot of ground. I think sometimes we think the way to answer a fool is to just come back at them as harsh as they come or attack them personally with ad hominem attacks and and you're just trying to tear them down as a person. And it never works. You get dirty and you lose ground. But we ought to be honest. We ought to be straightforward. Remember, there's a splinter in there and we got to go after it. You know, when you finally coax your child into the bathroom and start opening the drawer where the tools are found, you have the tweezers, you have the mini tweezers, Um, you might have the pen knife there because sometimes they get extra deep and you actually have to cut a little bit before you can expose that splinter to pull it out. Right, but as, as you come, you, you want to come sweetly, you want to come tenderly, you want to come lovingly, and you put your arms around them to hold them tight so they don't run away. But in love, you got your arms around them. They know that about you. They know you're being persuasive, you're being kind, you're being gracious, but you got to get to it now. I, I got I to be straight with you. I, I got to be honest. And, and that's the tone that we need to take also with speaking to a fool. According to Proverbs 27, 5, and 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Better is an open rebuke than a hidden one. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We can't just coddle, we just can't, can't just give all the... Sweetness, we, we have to sometime, at some point call sin, sin, call in a rebuke, but it's all for the purpose of restoration. You remember in Galatians chapter 6 where Paul encourages believers who come across another believer who's caught in a transgression. You who are spiritual, seek to restore them in a spirit of humility, keeping watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's the attitude, the demeanor, the manner that we ought to approach people who are trapped in their sin. We need to help them in their folly to come out. Think of how you would want to be approached in the way that you approach others. Didn't Jesus say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? And so, what is the best way that somebody has approached you? What's the best manner and tone that they have approached you? I can remember a time years ago now that an elder made an appointment with me and we met over here at First Watch over breakfast and he had something he wanted to talk to me about and it was a hard conversation. It was a difficult conversation and I needed to hear what he had to say, but it, it kind of hit me hard. And he knew that it was difficult, but he was gracious about the way he spoke. He was careful and measured about what he said. He was persuasive in what he was getting across. He was honest and to the point, but not to the degree where he was trying to win a debate, trying to get me to see his point and force my hand. It was just in tone, in eye contact, in facial expressions. I mean, with sorrow in his voice, he's he's speaking to me the words of truth 
that I need to hear in my folly. I've thought about that experience as one that I want to emulate, that I want to use as an example of how to practice biblically answering a fool and approaching people who are caught. When you discern what kind of fool you're dealing with, you've tried as best you can to see if this is a simple person, a scoffer, is this person simply uh, immature and um, or, or are they somebody who's hardened and stiff-necked? Is, is this a person who has isolated themselves and they, they're not listening to anybody? Or is this somebody who's connected and they seem to be open to getting input? And then you bring the answer and you're looking to persuade and to come across. The next step is you have to read their reaction because that's going to give you a better, clearer answer to the first question, what kind of fool you're dealing with, and it'll also shape how you're going to continue the conversation, how you continue interaction, interacting. And it just there's so many Proverbs that just flooded out as I was looking at in terms of reaction. There are the talkers and there are the listeners. Okay, so a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Okay, so what we're getting at is the talker is usually trying to defend themselves. They're trying to maybe minimize the, the, the thing that you're talking about, or sometimes they're just trying to distract altogether. And Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. And Proverbs 10.23 says, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Proverbs 29.9, If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Is this person a talker or they're actually a listener? A listener is somebody who takes in what you're saying. Uh, maybe just in small bites, maybe just in, in part, but they want to be a learner. They, they're open to correction. And Proverbs 9.9 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he'll increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, your years will be added to your life. And the listener also in Proverbs 15, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So as you're looking for their response, their reaction, you need to read their reaction may not surprise you, or maybe it would, that in the years of counseling that I've done at Redeemer for people in our church and outside of our church, I've had people of all sorts of responses and reactions. I have some people that just are on the edge of their seat saying, thank you, Nathan, thank you, Nathan, for that truth that you shared. I needed to hear that. Tell me more, tell me more. And then I've had people slam objects and charge out the door. I've had people hang up the phone on me. People email me and say, never contact me again. 
the reaction of the person that you just spoke to should cause you to first take stock in your approach. Did, Did I say something that was offensive to them? Did I do something that I shouldn't have done or said something that I shouldn't have said? And if you could take responsibility for that, do that. So hopefully you'll have another opportunity to talk to them. But there's a point where some people will draw the line and they'll say, no more. I'm not open. And that grieves me. It makes me sad. But when the folly of a scoffer is on display by that reaction, you can pray. Give them space. Give them time. Give them to the Lord and say, Lord, you have to change their heart and prepare them to meet again. Let me close by examining a little bit of how Jesus answered fools. See, it's one thing for us to look at the truths and the principles and the proverbs of how to answer a fool, but it's so helpful to see the case studies of the Scriptures. I mean, there's some in the Old Testament I looked at, the way that uh, Nabal, whose name is fool, and Abigail approached her husband, the fool, and David interacted with him. There's a wisdom there. Jesus walked this earth, and he dealt with nothing but fools, right? Because compared to him, everybody else was foolish. And so in his conversations with unbelievers, let's say, he handled those maybe differently than those who were his followers. In Matthew 7, 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. Okay, so there, there's a time not to speak to a fool that's acting in this manner. John Calvin says, it ought to be understood that dogs and swine are, given na- are, are names given not to every kind of debauched man or to those who are destitute of the fear of God and of true godliness, but only to those who by clear evidences have manifested a hardened contempt of God so that their diseases appear incurable. But by dogs and swine, he means that there are those that are so thoroughly imbued with wicked contempt for God that they refuse to accept any remedy. Christ appears to distinguish between swine and dogs, attributing brutal stupidity to the swine and rage to the dogs. And certainly experience shows that there are two such classes of despisers of God. And they're all on the internet. Okay, And so that's one of the places where you're going to see some of the dogs and the swine take those pearls of truth and tromp all over them. In Matthew 10, 14, he says to his disciples, Jesus says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that city or town. They're going out, sharing the truth of the gospel. The gospel message is then not received. And so Calvin again says, to shake off the dust from the feet was probably a custom then prevalent in Judea as a sign of execration. I had to look that up. Uh, Something yelled or declared. And it was intended to declare that the inhabitants of this place were so polluted that the very ground on which they trod was infected. They're not going to receive it. Move on. But Jesus also took the time to speak to to foolish people. And in Luke chapter 12, we have one of the common tactics that Jesus uses in talking with with fools as parables. Um, 
it's in the pattern of what Nathan the prophet did with King David when he had sinned with Bathsheba, but he couldn't see it. He was so foolish. And Nathan said, well, there was a man who had a lamb that they treated as a, as a pet. But then a rich man came and he took the poor man's lamb and he stole it from him to use for a, a dinner. And David saw that and said, the man who did that should surely die. And what did Nathan say? You're the man. Sometimes we need to depersonalize our conversation by using a story or a parable, and Jesus does that. In Luke 12, he says, Someone in the crowd came to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus read that fool. And he realized the matter that he thought was the problem, his brother's not giving him the inheritance, is not the heart of the problem. So Jesus gets below the surface to get at this covetous problem. And he said to him, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? He said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store my grain and my goods. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for the one who lays up a treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Ah. Jesus gets there with the message to the fool by telling a parable. Jesus' approach is very helpful for us. Paul gives us some understanding of how the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the good news of salvation through Christ's death and resurrection is foolish to those who don't believe. So what do you do with dealing with those fools? In 1 Corinthians 1, for the word, of God, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He asks later, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made, the foolish, not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who, are, who believe. The Jews demand a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Paul is helping us to understand, do you know, when we speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we point people to the cross as the only place to have their sins forgiven, people are going to reject that and see it as foolish, and that's going to be hard for us. And we need to be careful that we don't see people responding to us as saying, that's foolish, that's foolish, and take it so personally. And on the other hand, we ought not to rule out that we had any folly in presenting the truth. Because sometimes we, sta- we state the truth of the Bible and of Christianity in ways that are not becoming of a Christian. And we're foolish in the way that we speak this gospel. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, the word of the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So, as you look at a certain fool who's living in sin, if they're not a Christian and they don't have the Spirit of God living in them, they're not going to get it. The natural man cannot understand these truths. They're not able to take them in. But the believer in Christ who knows Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit can hear that truth and receive it. Titus 3, verse 3. Listen to these words. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this saying is trustworthy, Paul says. Listen up. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Remember, we were once foolish. He then says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. Sadly, there's a point where somebody who is so stiff-necked and so insistent on their division and sin that they are to be have nothing more to do with them. But that's us. We were once foolish. And we need to be careful that we're not self-deceived. Because let me conclude by putting this thought in your mind that the fool that you most often, most frequently and most carefully have to address is yourself. Because in our pride, we miss our folly. We miss our sinfulness. And the lies that we tell ourselves are so believable because we made them up and we're good at it. Uh, Paul Tripp said at one point that no one swindles lies, or deceives you more than you do. We have ways of just foolishly deceiving ourselves. And so, brothers and sisters, we can't isolate ourselves. We got to connect. We got to hear from others to be teachable. We ought not to be scoffers. We ought to be teachable, learners. And when we react to what we're told, let's be thankful. Let's be more wise in receiving that correction. And as we approach others with the same cross of Christ, which is folly to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God for salvation for us who believe, that's where the power 
of transformation is going to flow from. That's where a redeemed life is going to be transformed and changed. That's where the Holy Spirit of God indwells a person when they have come to confess Christ, to understand the gospel, and to embrace the truth there. The starting point for every fool is to see the foolishness of the cross as the power of God unto salvation. And then as we speak to other fools who don't know Christ, we need to be patient and careful. And those who are, do know Christ, again, be patient, be careful in the way that we speak to fools. God's Word is rich. It has so much wisdom for us. But we need such discernment. Pray and ask God for wisdom and how you answer a fool. Let's pray. Father, again, we can see the truth of Your Word, and it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's wonderful and marvelous. Uh, Too marvelous for us, for words. And yet, Lord, we want to be students of Your Word. We want to be uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, I pray that You give us hearts of devotion to to learn Your truth. And, Lord, uh, give us strength to live it so that you can receive glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.